So uh, last week you would, have, you would have heard I was preaching on the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin. And uh, for those who haven't heard it, it's on the net. We put it on there and you can go and listen to it again. So I want to continue today. Just want to take a little bit of a, of a rest from the book of Mark. But there's another thought that I want to discuss with you today that follows on to that. The sin that we do that, we, that cannot be forgiven, that's what we spoke about last week. Today I want to talk to you about grief, not the Holy Spirit. Grief, not the Holy Spirit. And you will find that these two tie close in with each other. Because if you talk to one camp of people, they will tell you that if you've done the unforgivable sin, that is grieving the Spirit. And the question is, is that the same thing? This is very important for you to listen today about. Because with us, we have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that He lives in us and He's with us. And this is a clear instruction from Paul to the church not to grieve the Holy Spirit. So we looked last week at Mark chapter 3, verse 28, where uh, Jesus said, Very, very, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter, but he the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. Never has forgiveness. But is subject to eternal condemnation. This is what Glenn was singing about. Internal condemnations, the lake of fire. It is real. There's people today who say that hell is not real. They're in for a massive surprise. It is real and it is forever. Jesus talks about it so many times. Just go and listen to Jesus when He speaks to all of the disciples. He talks about hell. But it becomes not politically correct to talk about it these days in the world. And in the church, that's why you don't hear so many sermons about hell. Because it's going to offend people. But here Jesus says... He is subject to internal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit and you know what happened here. So Jesus was healing this, this man with a demon inside of him. He couldn't hear, he couldn't speak and Jesus set the man free and they came to Jesus, the scribes, and they said to him, you have Beelzebub, that's why you do it. Jesus said to them, you have done the unpardonable sin. And I've explained last week for you right through that we cannot in this particular age do the unpardonable sin. We can't. Go and listen to the message. So this is the unforgivable sin. You cannot be pardoned for that. Now there's a group of people then that place another scripture verse to this. And they, they use this scripture verse in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 from Paul. When Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You see, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You do blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, never has forgiveness. And people go and they say, we tie this together, and if you grieve the Holy Spirit of God, you have done that sin. Whom you are sealed... Until the day of redemption. Let me just repeat the verse. 
3, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed until the day of redemption. Now the word that he used here for Greek, in Greek, for grief, is the word lupio, which means it's something that makes you sad. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus said, let me show you the timeline. Remember our timeline that we draw out last week? The center is the cross of Christ. I want to say today, I don't want to preach anything except the cross of Christ to you. That is the value of our gospel. If you move away from the cross, you find all of these falsities that's happening in the world right now. You get fables and stories and all of this. You know, it's interesting when I find Paul and he comes to Corinth and they came to him. And what did he say to them? He said, I don't want to hear anything about your stories. The only thing I want to know about is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Where was he crucified? At the cross. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my soul rolled away. Now, in our timeline, we find before the cross is the dispensation of law. The dispensation of law. Everything was according to the law that God gave Moses. And remember last week I said to you that Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, when they write the Gospels, it's all about that law, how Jesus Christ, the man, the Son of Man, came to fulfill the law. And in that particular time when he was still on the earth, it is then when they said to him, in his face, he has Beelzebub, and by Beelzebub he is casting out demons. That is the unpardonable sin, in his face. So what happened then, is that Jesus Christ, he then went, and, uh, went up to heaven, but before he did that, he had his disciples with him, and he prepared them, he prepared them that he was going to go away up in heaven and they're going to be alone on the earth without him. And one day he said to them these words. Listen very carefully. John 14, 16. He says, and I will pray. This is why he was still with them before the cross. He was walking with them. And he... Let me say to you, brother, I need God. We need His help. This is a sign thereof. Jesus comes and He walks with His men. He turns to them and He says to them, And I pray the Father. I will pray on your behalf and He will give you another helper. He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. Everybody say forever. What does forever mean? It means forever. So this helper, who is not Jesus himself in a physical sense, is someone who Jesus is going to send, who the Father is going to send. He will be with them forever. But there's something in this verse that you need to understand. Because in verse 17 he says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. You see that? 
The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. Cannot receive Him. Only you can, if you are born again. He says the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be where? In you. He dwells with you, but He's also in you. For how long? For how long? Forever. Now think about that and make a mental note. So, before Jesus goes to the cross and die, He gives them this prayer. He says, I'm going to pray the Father, and what He will do is He will send you another comforter. And then He ascended on high. He was crucified. My brother sang it. He was risen from the grave. Praise the Lord. And then He ascended on high. They saw Him going up on the clouds. Before He went up on the clouds, He spoke to them. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes amongst you. And you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and all the ends of the world. This is, this is what He said to them. And then He goes up into heaven and they see Him no more. But what happened at the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost, what He prayed here for, and what He said to them, they will receive power. He came down. Now, I know I've got it there like a dove. Okay? Because the Bible says He came like a dove. The symbol of a dove is spirit. The spirit is not a dove. Okay? Amen. Pentecost is that flames of fire came and it looked like flames of fire sitting on them. And the Spirit came down like a dove. And what? The Holy Spirit came into or onto the earth to fill the hearts of the children of God. Now we are living in this age here, which is called the dispensation of grace and also the church age. This is where we are living, the church age. It's a dispensation of grace. We sing our songs about grace. People can still get saved. This is the time you can be in. It's not the time of judgment. In fact, there's a beautiful scripture. If you go and you look at Luke chapter 4, and in Jesus, they give Jesus a book to read in the synagogue. He reads out of Isaiah chapter 61. And he says, the time of God, the grace time of God has come. But he them. And he sat down. This is a beautiful time. It's a wonderful time. In this time, in this church age, round about here, Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he says to them, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed, you see, until the day of redemption. This is not the same. Paul had not this on his mind, the sin, the unpardonable sin, when he wrote this to the church. He didn't have that on his mind. Brother and sister, life. But God is so distant from you. When Paul writes down, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed. What does it mean? What does he say? If this is not the unpardonable 
sin. If this is not what Jesus Christ meant there, if he's not talking about what does he mean? And, and, and he also writes to the church in Thessalonians, he says, do not quench the Spirit. Twice now he talks about the Spirit not grieving it and not quenching it. Grieving and quenching is two different things. Grieving is if you make somebody sad to the point of you make them cry. Quenching is like a fire and you start putting fire, water on the fire and it starts quenching it and making it. It's still there, but it's not operating fully. That's quenching. So what does Paul mean? Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is a person and can be saddened. You see, some people believe the Holy Spirit is just a wind. We talk to the Jehovah Witnesses, they believe it's just the wind that blows. Some people don't realize that the Holy Spirit is a person. God the Father is a person. God the Son is a person. And, and, and God the Holy Spirit is a person. He, he's got feelings. He can be saddened. That's why he says that. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. If it was only a wind that blows, it wouldn't wind or, a, or just a spirit that blows. Standing next to you. He's got all He gives gift. Now how do we grieve the Spirit of God? By not being led by Him choosing your own way and disobeying God. This is how we are grieving the Holy Spirit. It is not the unpardonable sin. It is grieving Him. He wants to lead us. Look at this, John chapter 16 verse 13. Uh, Jesus says, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, when that Spirit come to you and me, which is the Holy Spirit in person, when He has come, what will He do? What will He do? He will guide you. He will guide you. He will tell you where to go. He will tell you what to do. And God wants to guide people. Go back to the Old Testament. You remember when the nation needed to get out of Egypt? What did God do? Did He say to them, Look, I want to plot you on a map here. You are here and I'm there. Find your own way. Is that what God's doing? No. By day, they had a cloud, and they giving them laws and regulations and how to worship and all of these things. He guided them by giving them people to look over them. He guided them by giving them Moses and. But God wanted to guide His people. Now you tell me what happens when His people didn't follow Him. Right through the Bible Testament and you read every single it's a God that is people but His people needs to He's not going to follow Nowhere do I read in the Old Testament that God shackled them with chains and He dragged them through the wilderness. Do you read? 
No, every single time he gives them the guidance and he wants them to do what? To follow. To follow. If you look in, 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 in uh, biblical times when a shepherd, it's not like here in Australia where you go behind the shepherd, go behind with his dogs and he chase on the sheep. That's what sheep wants to do in the church these days. They want people to come and shout you and move you into heaven. No, no. In biblical times, the shepherd would walk in front and what would happen with the sheep? They would follow. Why? Because they his voice. He says it to them in, in, in Acts. He says, uh, in, when he came to a city, he says, there's many of my sheep here, but my sheep knows what? They know my voice and they follow my voice. Guess what, brother and sister? The Holy Spirit's voice is speaking to you and all you have to do is to follow His voice. Now, if you stop following His voice, what happens? You are disobeying the Spirit, and that grieves the Spirit of God. Uh, many of you are fathers, moms and dads. What happens when you guide your children and they don't listen to you? It grieves your heart, isn't it? I mean, if, and if you don't have children and so on, what if you're a husband and a wife, and, and the husband wants to guide the wife, or the gu wife guides the husband, and they don't listen to you? It grieves. And this is the same principle that he uses here. Jesus says in John 16, 13, However, when the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth. Into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak and He tell you things to come. Oh, can you see that? Who tells you things to come? He doesn't speak. He will speak and tell you things to come. Who does that? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God do that. And He will glorify me. For He will take of what is mine and declare you. How wonderful is that? Where do we find the things of Christ? In our Bibles. So if we start, take His guidance and read your Bible, and the Holy Spirit starts working through His Bible to us, what do we get? He declares Himself more and more to us. Where? Through His Word. So this is how we can grieve the Holy Spirit if we do not listen to Him. You see, but one can disobey the Spirit of God, grieve and quench Him, and that affects His work in your life. That affects His work. He wants to work in your life. When you were saved, when you were born again, and the Spirit of God came and lived inside you, He just come inside of you to sit on the couch and go, whoo, this is a lovely place. I'm just going to kick back here. No, he came into your life to work with you, to help you. Even the word that they use in Greek, explain that to us. Parakletos. I've said it to you so many times. Parakletos is two words, coming alongside and to strengthen you. And, and I'm going to use this example again, like a parachute. Para is coming and it strengthens and softens you to float to the earth. Paramedic. But get this. Get this. If you're on a plane there and you're 15,000 feet in the air, and there is the parachute, and you go, nah, mate, I don't need that, and you jump, what's going to happen? Splat. It's not going to work for you, is it? What about a medic? What about a medic? You did a silly thing. You 
you break your leg and you lay there in agony and they call the paramedic to come alongside you and to give you medical attention and as soon as the paramedic turns up there you look at him and you go what do you want what are you doing here well i'm here to help you no no go away I, i've got this ah, ah i've got this ah go away do you do that come on do you do that no so no, my friend, you would say it's crazy, it's absolutely crazy that somebody come to your aid and want to help you, a paramedic, and you say no to that. But it surprises me, absolutely surprises me that people today who has got the Holy Spirit with them, in them, the parakletos, say no, I don't want your help. I want you to go and sit in a the corner there and watch me live this life. I don't need your help. Here Jesus says to us that he will pray the Father and he'll send us a helper. He wants to be active in your lives. He wants to help us in every facet of our life. Yet we say no. And, and that is absolutely fascinating to see that Christians want to go through life and they do not know the Spirit. Here in this particular verse, in verse 17, he says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him. So the world can't see him. The world don't want his power to come alongside them, because they do not know him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and it is, is in you. Now, I want to just clear out a myth that's going out in the preaching circles or in churches out there and that is that the spirit will leave you that's this idea if you if you uh, grieve the spirit of god he will leave you because he's like a dove somebody said to me one day and he will fly away if you come too close he will fly away like a dove or if you do something wrong it goes away and then then you've got to really come and, and you repent and you do all your things and and then the spirit comes back into your life and you better watch out because if you do something wrong again then he takes off and fly off again and then he comes back again so if that is true what do you do with the scripture in John 14 verse 16 then? What do you do? How do you answer this then when Jesus himself says, And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. What do you do with that scripture verse? Does that scripture verse tell you that the Holy Spirit will come and go and come and go and come and go? No, it does not say that. But yet so many people preach that and they want you to do a lot of hard work to make sure that the Spirit of God don't depart from you. But here Jesus himself says that the Spirit will stay with you forever. Now, what does the word forever means? I think it's pretty clear. It means forever. The Spirit will abide with you. The word abide there means he makes a habitation with you. He comes in to dwell with you. He's not just an overnight stayer. The Spirit, Jesus says, of truth, whom the world cannot receive. He does not come and live in the world, but He comes and live in this child of God. And you will know Him, for He dwells with you. There's that word. It's the same word than abide. He dwells with you, and He will be where? Inside of you. 
Now there's this myth. There's this people who say, well, the spirit will go. If you grieve the spirit of God, he will go out of you. And, you know, it's kaput. Let it be known that we need the spirit of God to be saved. No Holy Spirit, no salvation. No Holy Spirit, no salvation. Now this is so critical. So in a way, what these people are saying is that when you grieve and quench the spirit, that you're losing your salvation and you better work hard. So if you lose your salvation and then what do you do now? You come back and you say, I'll promise that I'll be a good boy and a good girl. And you better, uh, you have all of these rules and regulations. If you step out of one of them, there goes the spirit again and you lose your salvation. This is not what the Bible teaches. It is then fear that drives people to serve God. Fear of, of living our lives. Fear of hoping that I don't upset the Spirit of God. Fear of that He's not in me anymore. This is not what the Bible teaches. Yet so many people teach that in Christian circles today. And it puts a bondage on people to serve God with fear of what He can do to them instead of a reference fear of who God is. That's not the same fear. We need the Spirit of God to be saved and it doesn't work this way that the spirit will just fly off and fly away so how does it work then how does this work then well we'll have to go back to Genesis and I'll explain this to you in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 we find where God says that he will create man he says then God said let us make man in our image you see that let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him male and female he created him. So God created man like this. Body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. So we were created in God's likeness. Into His image, but into His likeness. What does it mean? We have a body. We see in the same verse that He talks about cattle. He talks about animals. Animals also do have a body. Is that right? Yes, they do. We have a soul. Animals have souls. Not similar to ours, but they do. Animals got a soul. They are dichotonomous beings. A dichotonomous being means it's two parts. You have to be a dichotonomous being to be alive, to live, to breathe. You have to have something inside of the body to live. This is animals. Listen carefully what I'm saying to you now. Then God created them with a spirit. The spirit is speaking with God. The Spirit is the capacity to speak with God. The Spirit is the capacity to walk out into nature, look up into heaven and to say, Praise the Creator of heaven and earth. Have you seen cows do that? Have you seen cows coming together in a circle and say, Let's have a prayer meeting. They all come together in a meeting and what? The only thing they can say is, Mmm. 
Where's that coming from? They create it like that. Oh, uh, sister, um, uh, sister with the white stripes, can you? Okay, brother, you over there. Animals hasn't got the capacity that we have. They haven't got this likeness that we have. You see, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three part being into one. Now, I'm not saying, that, I'm not saying we are gods, okay? But get this, He made us body, soul, and spirit. And then what happened? He came to Adam and he says, Adam, thou shalt not eat of that tree, because surely if thou eat of that tree, what will happen? You will die. Is that right? And Eve came. I'm just fast forwarding you through this now to, to get to the point. So Eve came, and, and, and the snake came to her, and he says, you will not surely die. Really, honestly, did God say that? And she went and took some of the fruit and went up to Adam and says, take, eat, it's good. And what did he do? He ate. He ate. She ate. Did they fall down and die? Come on, you answer me. No. Their bodies were still alive. Is God a liar? No. What happened at that point in time? At that point in time, the spirit inside of them died. They didn't have the capacity at that point in time to be in that position to speak straight to God. He chased him out of the Garden of Eden. And from that point in time, man is lost. Because the spirit is not there. The soul is there. The faculties is there. The decisions is there. The emotions is there. Everything is sitting there. But that side of it, and man became, in a way, like an animal. A dichotonomous being. Dichotonomous being. These days they are preaching it from our schools, isn't it? They say to your children that you came from a monkey, you're a dichotonomous being. Man is just an animal, you're dichotonomous. No, we're more than that. We are made in the likeness of God. So what happens? Look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, he says, this is telling. He says that this is the book of the genealogy of whom? Of Adam. The man here who was made in the likeness of God, who sinned and whose spirit was dead now. In the day that God created, he made him in the likeness of God. You see, he, he points out the likeness again here in Genesis chapter 5. Verse 2, he created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And now in verse 3, and Adam lived 130 years and he begot a son in his what? Own likeness. Wow. In his own likeness. What likeness was that? That was the likeness of the body and the soul and the spirit is dead. God created them in his likeness. Everything was alive. There was harmony between man and God. They walked in the cool of night in, in the garden of Eden and God came down and spoke to them. They walked with God. But they sinned. And that capacity wasn't there anymore. And in, when he then made a son, it was in his own likeness, in the likeness of Adam, the first Adam. And he called him Seth. You say, but prove that to me in the New Testament. When Paul writes to Ephesians, he says to him, and you he made alive. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you he made alive. Wait a minute. Did he talk to corpses? 
when he wrote this to the church in Ephesus? Or were they alive? No, bodily. They were alive. The body and the soul were still alive. But when he wrote to them, he says to them, and you he made alive. What does he mean? What does Paul mean when he writes that to them? Who were dead in trespasses and sin. He meant to them that your trespasses and your sins killed that part of you. And if that part of you is not alive, you are dead. You're a dead man walking. It's only body and soul, a two-part being. You need the Spirit of God in you to be alive. That's what he meant. How did he make him alive? He sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for you and for me to save you from your sinful life and to give you life. And when he gave you life, what did he place inside of you? The Holy Spirit to seal you. This is important to understand. Now look at this now in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, and I'm sorry it's down here, but if you follow in your Bibles, he writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? A new creation. What does he mean? What does he mean? What, what did Paul mean when he said to them, You are a new creation? Because I tell you, brother and sister, the day when the Lord saved my life and my soul, and I stood up from that prayer and that prayer, I stood up and everything felt the same. It was the same body. I didn't get a new body. I didn't get here all of a sudden. It is the same world I was living in, but what changed? If, if, if I stand up, if somebody comes out, if there's a person who drives past this place who's, who's bound for hell, who's lost, he's a sinner, and he turns and he runs in you and he says, I need to be saved, and we pray and God saves his soul, and he understands his sin, and, he's, he, and, 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 and you know, it's a wonderful God, reborn him. What happened? He's a new creation. But he will stand there and go, it's still the same me. What is created new? The spirit. This part there is the new creation. The soul and the spirit. That's the new creation he's talking about. That is when he says that he made you alive. He recreated this part of you. The body is still going to die. I'm saved standing in front of you, but this body is on its way to the grave. Whether you like it or not. But this part, my brother and sister, is recreated. It's the new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. Let's have a look at this. Now, I'm just fast-forwarding through this. Ephesians 1.13. In him you have also trusted. After you've heard the what? The word of truth. What is the word of truth? The gospel. So when we heard the gospel that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins, which is the word of truth, what happened? We trusted in Him. Your salvation, through listening to the word of truth, the gospel, He gave us salvation. In whom also having believed, now look at this now, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Everybody say sealed. What does that mean? What does it mean? Jesus says at one stage, he says that we're in his hands and he holds us in his hands. And the father comes and he puts his hands over that 
And he says, that's where you are. And the Holy Spirit comes as our guarantee. The guarantee comes on top of that and seals it. And seals it. Now, if by any way you say, I'm grieving the Spirit, he's not going to fly away. But in any way you get the Father's hands away, you've got to one by one pull open the fingers of Jesus Christ to pull you out of his hand. That is, that is a feat. That is something. But it can't happen. And here he says here, he says, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of the inheritance of the redemption, the purchased possession to the praise of God. You're the purchased possession of God. Of God. So, preacher, you're saying now this morning that I can sin because I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm saved. And where the Holy Spirit is, there's salvation and He lives in me forever. I can do whatever I want. No way. That's not what I'm preaching. In fact, the Bible doesn't preach that. You see, because, and I'm so sorry, it's down here. You see, um, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, he says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Whoa, wait a minute. This is what John writes down. Now. He says, Whomever is born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Does this scripture then prove sinless perfection? Because there's people who preach that out there. They say, once you become a child of God, man, you can't sin anymore. You can't sin anymore. In a way, they're right. But there's also another way where they're wrong. Let me explain to you. The body can still sin. That's where we sin. We sin in the body and we carry this, the consequences thereof. Because Paul cries out, Paul in Romans, he cries out, he says, O wretched man that I am, present tense, who can save me from this body of sin? This is Paul, the one who wrote most of our Bible, who who seen Jesus physically, who was touched by Jesus. This man, after the end of his life, he writes to to the church in Romans, and he writes these words down, he says, O wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of sin? Only God can. And, and what, what can happen when you die? You'll be relieved from this body of sin. But you and I know that this can still happen today to the child of God. It happens. You're still in this body of sin. But what cannot sin? What is, what is John writing about? He says you cannot sin. He's talking about this part here, the soul and the spirit. When the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you, brother and sister, and you sin, what happens? What intercedes for you? You repent of your sin, but what intercedes for you? The Spirit of God. That part of you cannot sin. It's not like in the old man where it's for damnation for the soul. So what can happen then if you sin? In the body you will carry your consequences. And you know God has got consequences for disobedient children. He punishes them. God punishes his children. You say, what? Yes. If you read in the Old Testament, his nation, who was his people, every time when they went wayward, what happened? Did he tell them, you're no longer my people? Did he do that? No, no. He punished them. 
He punished them with other nations to come and, and win them in wars. He punished them sometimes when diseases came over them and they felt it. And every time they were punished, what happened? They turned back to God. This is what God will do with the child of God who is truly saved. He will punish you. The Bible is full of that. He will chastise his children. We do it with our children. Although we're living in a world now where the lefties say, no, no, no. If you're going to give a Johnny a smack on the bum, it's going to give him some mental issues going forward. That's a lot of nonsense. Just straightforward nonsense. It's what they want to talk into Johnny's ear. That is not good for the future. But here is the thing. God punishes children. And you know what? He leaves his children over to their own devices if they don't want to listen. We do it sometimes with our children, don't we? We warn them if, if they don't want to listen, what do we say? Go ahead and knock your head. I'll be here. I'll be here when you cry out. I'll, if you want to cry out and come back, I'll be here. But you go and do that. Do they stay your children? Of course they do. But they knock their head and whether they turn, turn back to the father. We see that happen. But he's not going to turn back and say, they are not my children anymore. There's a scripture verse. Let, let, let me read it to you as an example or as a, as a proof text. In uh, Psalm chapter 81, we find this passage here, which is really interesting and, and just explaining, explaining what I'm saying. Psalm 81. Um, listen to this, what he says, verse 11. Um, The old Psalm 81 is a psalm for an appeal for the repentance of Israel. He appeals to Israel to repent. And he writes this, the psalmist. But this is God's appeal to them in Psalm 81 verse 11. No, no, let, let me read it from verse 10. Now I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people would not heed my voice. My people will not listen. They will not. And Israel would not have none of me. So what happened? What did God do? I gave them over to their own stubborn hearts to walk in their own counsel. That's what God will do. He will leave you over, walk in your own counsel, until you see, oh boy, I should have listened to mommy and daddy. What happens? You run back to mommy and daddy. So let me continue. So sin happens in the body, you carry the consequences thereof. And man, have I seen people who walked and, and you know, like they say, they've partied hard. You can see it in their bodies. You can, see, you can see it in their bodies, physically. You take somebody who's maybe 50 years old who really lived a life of sin and you put somebody 50 who maybe served the Lord totally. You can see the difference. Sin walks a mile in your body. It walks that mile. Anyway, let me continue on. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Because, you know, some people say it gives us a license to prove to sin now. That's not what he does. Paul writes to Romans, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we do that? No. By far not. How shall we who died for sin live in it any longer? Now, let me come back and say, how can we grieve the Holy Spirit? Now that we've determined that He's not going to fly away, but He's going to be there, but He's not effective in your life. How can we do that? I'm not going to read the whole passage, but 
just lift out this. Ephesians 4 verse 17. In this I say, therefore, testify the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. You've got a choice how you walk. And when he talk about this, is how you conduct your life. Not like the Gentiles. This will grieve the Spirit. He wants you to conduct your life holy. But if you keep on walking like the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, it's going to grieve them. Look at verse 18. Because of the ignorance that is in them. Some people live their lives ignorantly. It grieves the Spirit of God if you try to do that or you live like that. Verse 19. have been past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness and cleanness with greediness. All these things. Therefore putting away lying. Um, for we are members of another. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Some people, ang anger is something that everybody has. Ang to be angry is not a sin in itself. But what follows anger is a sin. These things, nor give place to the devil. Don't steal anymore. Let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth. You see, in Ephesians 4, 17, this is in context all in context before he came to the verse when he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let no corrupt word proceed your mouth. Um, let bitterness, wrath, anger, glamour, and evil speaking putting away from you. All these things grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And you know what you do? You quench him. He speaks to you. He tells you to do something. You don't do it. How do you feel afterwards? How do you feel afterwards? This is not works, by the way. This is not works. This is not working for your salvation. This is reading your Bible and listening to Him and take His guidance. What is the result of grieving the Holy Spirit? And we'll end by this. If you grieve the Spirit of God, you're unaware of His presence. You're unaware of His presence. You've got no comfort, no peace, no... It's just this emptiness. I'm talking about children of God here, not people in the world. I'm talking about people who call them children of God, Christians. If you grieve the Holy Spirit, my brother and sister, you're just unaware of His presence. Oh, I remember the days. The days, and, and I still, when you sometimes just, you, in your everyday life, wherever you go, you're just aware of the Spirit of God with you. Just aware of Him. And because you thank Him for everything, you see something and you speak to Him and, and He's there. You lose your Christian joy. So many people walk as not joyful. I, I see sometimes people who call them children of God and I go, man, if that is how it is to serve God and you haven't got any joy, man, who wants that? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Every day is a challenge. There's no music in your heart. There's no songs in your heart. There's no choruses in your heart. You know, I hear so many times, you know, my, my wife goes through terrible pain sometimes, but she sings songs to God whenever I, I can testify of that. Whenever I hear this, she's got some kind of songs she's singing away on. And I go, thank you, Holy Spirit, for strengthening where you need to strengthen. That's when he comes alongside as a, and he's a helper to strengthen, to take you through that pain, to take you through that dark side of the pain. And, and you've got the joy of Lord in your heart. You still sing a song while you're hurting. That doesn't make sense, does it? But that's the Holy Spirit. 
But if you grieve him, the song is gone. The, 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 every day is a challenge. You lose power. You lose power when, when you grieve the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, You will receive power to be my witnesses. But if you grieve the Holy Spirit, what do you do? You lose that power. Your prayer all of a sudden feels empty and echoey. And, and the Bible passages don't open up for you anymore. And, and the best word I could find last night when I sat there at church is a slog. You know what it means? It's a drag to go to church. Oh, it's church again. I, I guess I better go. And then you go and you sit around as if you know somebody owns you something. Nobody owes you nothing in this world. Nobody owes you nothing. God doesn't owe you anything. You owe Him everything. But this is what happens when you grieve the Holy Spirit who's been sent into your life to help you, to comfort you, to strengthen you. You say to Him, sit in the corner there. It's good that you're in my life, but I'm going to do my own thing. And then you go through all of these things and you become useless in ministry. You just become useless in that. You, you haven't got that spark. You haven't got that, that fire that he talks about. The fire of the Spirit. And, and you can't walk in that. You see, Paul says to them in Ephesians 4 verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It doesn't mean the Spirit is going to depart from you. The Spirit's still there, but it's ineffective. Ineffective. So what do we do? How do we get the Holy Spirit of God not to be ineffective in our lives? There's only one thing you can do this morning if you say, you know, preacher, I have grieved the Holy Spirit. And this is not a long-standing thing. I love it. I love it when, when we come to Christ and we can just repent of our sin. How do, how do I get the Spirit alive in my life again? Repent. Repent. Come to God and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I walked in the way of, of the Gentiles. I did these terrible things and the Holy Spirit is quenched. The Holy Spirit is, is ineffective. Just repent. Come to Him and talk to Him and say, please help me. I need you.